I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and go through the end of chapter, Matthew chapter 2. Give ear to the word of God this morning. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose uh, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child 
and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're looking at the account of the visit of the wise men or the magi um, after the birth of Christ. And it was a long reading and we obviously aren't going to spend enough time to unpack everything in the passage. There's a lot in this text that we could uh, look at. There are fulfilled prophecies, a number of them, which we'll touch on briefly. There is an emphasis Uh, It might sound strange to our ears, but it really shouldn't. Uh, On worship, three times it is said that someone was going to or planned to or did worship Christ. We sang worship Christ, the newborn king. You don't worship kings, do you? We don't, we don't, we shouldn't. We don't worship earthly rulers, presidents, prime ministers, kings, whatever the case may be, because they're not God. But in this case, they were right to worship, and that is, a, they, that is something that we're going to see in our text this morning. But I thought what would be good for us to do and would be helpful and instructive for us to do this morning is at least briefly look at the, the responses to the birth of Christ of the various people that are mentioned uh, in our text. Uh, we see the wise men, who were no doubt foreigners. They were from a pagan land, and we see their response to the birth of Christ. We see King Herod, and then we see the chief priests and the scribes. And they all had varying different kinds of responses to the, the good news of the birth of the Savior. And how did they all respond? They responded quite differently. What does it say about King Herod? Was King Herod happy to hear? Did he rejoice at the birth of the long-awaited Christ who was to come? No, he was, it says he was troubled. The word has the idea of, of something being stirred up or destroyed. Like He had no rest when he heard this happen. When, when he heard that Christ was born, he was troubled. And then he was enraged. So he escalates things quite, quite a, a bit. He was enraged. for, And why was that? He saw Christ, at minimum, as a rival to his own throne, as a rival to his own power, place, and authority. The chief priests and the scribes. That, that's, that's who Herod went to to find out where Christ was going to be born they knew what the scriptures foretold about the birth of Christ, but they were, what was their reaction to it? It doesn't say in so many words, but it seems like their, their reaction, their response to the good news of great joy was apathy. They couldn't even be bothered to go look for themselves when they heard that Christ had been born. They couldn't be bothered just to go to, to, to Jerusalem to see if, if, in, if in fact it was the Christ who was to come. And then we have the wise men of the Magi. What did they do? Theirs is the right response. They rejoiced exceedingly. And when they they saw him, what does it say they did? They fell down and worshipped him and gave him the gifts that we often sing about at this time of year. And in many ways, I think these are some of the same, the very same responses that people in our day and in every day give to Christ at the news of his birth and his death and his salvation. These same responses we see in our text, they're not something just in the past. People in our day give these same responses 
to the good news of the gospel of Christ, even around Christmas time. So the first one I want us to look at briefly this morning is the response of King Herod. How did King Herod respond and react to the good news of the birth of Christ? In verses 1 to 2, Matthew kind of sets the stage for us by telling us how the, how the good news of the birth of Christ came to the capital city of Jerusalem. It says there, verses 1 and 2 again, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So news, news was getting around fast. They didn't go straight to the palace. They were in Jerusalem asking people when they finally got to Jerusalem and the palace. Uh, and, and word of that came all the way to Herod. Now the first thing you might notice in these verses is that uh, there really are two kings mentioned in our text. One is King Herod and one is King Jesus. Uh, it says these were the days of Herod the king, verse 1. Now, Herod the Great was what he was known as. He was not even a Jew by birth. Uh, he was not in the line of King David. He was a puppet king of sorts set up by the Roman government to kind of keep things under their thumb in, in Judea, to kind of keep order in the, in the region of Judea and keep things pleasing to the Romans. And what was Herod's initial reaction to the birth of Jesus? It said, when, when Herod the king heard this, when he heard of Christ's birth, he was troubled and then it says, Matthew adds, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled, and when Herod is troubled, everybody was troubled. Uh, he was shaken up. He was disturbed. The, new, the news of the birth of Jesus Christ was not good news to Herod. It was bad news. It was troubling news. It wasn't news that brought him peace. It was news that brought him trouble or irritation. But Herod wasn't the only one who found this news disturbing, was he? Matthew again says, all Jerusalem was troubled right along with Herod. Matthew Henry writes the following. He says, one would have thought Jerusalem should rejoice greatly to hear that her king comes. Yet it seems all Jerusalem, except the few there that waited for the consolation of Israel, were troubled with Herod and were apprehensive of, of I know not what ill consequences of the birth of this new king, that it would involve them in war or restrain their lusts. For they, for their parts, desired no king but Herod, no, not the Messiah himself. In other words, the, the coming of Christ to them was bad news too. They thought it would, it would disturb things. They thought it might bring trouble upon them, maybe from the Romans or from Herod himself. They did not, most people in Jerusalem, when they heard the news when the wise men came to town, they did not rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They were worried. They were irritated and disturbed. And I think this demonstrates for us the sad truth of what is the beginning of John's gospel says. John 1, 11 says, they were told, he, that's Jesus, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. We're seeing that displayed here in Matthew's gospel. Now, why was Herod, of all people, why was he troubled about the birth of Christ? Why was the good news so bad, such bad news to him? Uh, again, three times in our text, Matthew calls Herod a king, verses 1, 3, and 9. Herod was also nicknamed 
Herod the Great. You wonder if he gave himself that nickname or if somebody else gave it to him. And one of his many accomplishments during his long reign in Judea, he was responsible for the, the building or the rebuilding of what's known as the Second Temple, or it's even called Herod's Temple. Herod reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. He had a long time in office. His reign was marked by paranoia and violence. He took any possible threat to his own power and throne so seriously that he reportedly had at least three of his own sons killed along with one of his wives. Even his own sons he viewed not as someone to pass the baton to, but as somebody who might usurp his place. If he was willing to do that, then certainly you can see that what he did in ordering the murder of all those male children two years old and under in Bethlehem would not be in any way out of character. If he killed his own children, what, what would stop him from killing someone else's? That's something to think about in our day as well. So Herod was troubled, and what did he do? He, you know, If you just look at what he did and don't look at how he responded afterward, it, it kind of sounds like a good thing. It says he assembled, quote, all the chief priests, verse 4, all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where Christ, where the Christ was to be born. He heard that Christ is born. He wants to know where. He wants to find out more about this for himself. Uh, and he asked all the right people, didn't he? He knew who to ask. He asked all the chief priests and scribes of the people. It kind of reminds me, if you were here last week, last Sunday, we looked at briefly the story of King Ahab. Remember Ahab? He wasn't sure if he should go to war uh, with, with the people of uh, Judah against the people who had taken land from them. And so what did King Ahab do? He got together, it says, about 400 prophets. That's a convention. 400 prophets to ask him, should I go up to war and battle or not? And they all told him what he wanted to hear. They didn't tell him the truth. They said, yes, surely God will give you victory. And then he calls Micaiah, the one guy he hadn't talked to, remember? And the one prophet eventually told him, if you go, you're going to die. And what did he do? He still went and he still died. He wouldn't listen to the word of the Lord. Well, I think in a similar way, you have Herod. Who knows how many prophets, uh, how many priests and scribes of the people he talked to, but it says he summoned all of them. He wants everybody to tell me you know, what, what the answer is to where Christ was to be born. Um, but nevertheless, he didn't want to know the will of the Lord. He just wanted to know where his rival was going to be. Born. And Herod asked the right question. He asked the right people. He asked the right question. But he asked the right question for all the wrong reasons, didn't he? He lied. He said, oh, I want to go worship him too. Is that what he was going to do? No, we know that wasn't what he planned to do at all. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And he's not just asking when he says that. He's not just asking where is a king going to be born. When he says the Christ or the Messiah... He's talking about one in particular, the one who was to come, the one whose reign was going to know no end. And so you can see why he would find that disturbing in his, in his unbelief. But rather than believing and rejoicing about the, about the good news of the birth of the Savior, Herod saw Jesus as nothing but a threat to his own rule and power. Rather than seeking him and worshiping him, he sought to kill him instead. See what awful lengths the wicked will go to to try not to have Christ rule over them. He is, in some ways, showing us a fulfillment of Psalm 2. Remember the, the kings and rulers of the earth? 
got together and conspired against the Lord and against his Christ. And they said, we're going to burst his bonds. We're not going to have this one to rule over us. And, and what does it say God does? God laughs. He holds them in derision and he tells them that his son, his king, is going to smash them like a, like a piece of pottery with a rod of iron. He warns them to kiss the son and, and, and turn back to him because they'll be quick, his wrath might be quickly kindled against them. And we see the same thing in Herod that you see in, in many today, many who are rulers in different places of the world. They will not have Christ to rule over them, but they don't have a choice. One day they, their knees will bow and their tongues will confess that Christ is Lord. His kingdom, the increase of it, will have no end, no matter what they try to do in resisting him. Well, the second, second group of people for us to look at this morning is not just Herod, but the chief priests and the scribes, the, the religious professionals, the, the pastors, the theologians, so to speak. And as disturbing and, and frightening as Herod's response was, and it's really horrific if you, if you think about it at all, in some ways, the response of the chief priests and scribes was even more disturbing. They didn't murder anybody, at least not yet. They plotted Christ's death later on, didn't they? So they were no better than Herod. But the, in some ways, their response, the ones who should have known better, who knew the scriptures, who knew, as soon as Herod said, where was the Christ to be born? Here's the answer. They knew all the right facts, but they didn't know Christ. Uh, Matthew tells us in, in verses 5 to 6, they quoted the, the prophet Micah. It says, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, why? For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew what he was asking. They knew why he was asking it. In other words, they knew this wasn't some random question. It wasn't like Herod was one day sitting around the palace and thought, hey, I know they keep talking about this Christ who's to come someday. Where, where is he going to be born? Everybody in town was disturbed by the news. They knew that the news was that he had been born, that it wasn't some hypothetical in the future now. It was something that was reported to have happened now. So when he asked what he asked them, they knew that he wanted to know where the Christ was at that moment. The whole city knew that they were saying that Christ had come and finally been born. And yet, what did, the, what did the scribes and chief priests do with this news? The text doesn't say anything, does it? Apparently, they did nothing. They did nothing. They did not make haste to go to Jerusalem. They could not be bothered to go see for themselves. And, you know, I'm not good at geography, but uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are about seven miles apart. Now, I, I know if you don't have a car and they didn't have cars, that might sound like a long walk. They had ways to get there. It would not have been that difficult of a thing for them uh, to do, to go on that, that short of a journey. And yet they couldn't even be bothered to go see for themselves if, Christ, if the Christ had been born. They knew where to look. They knew why they were to look there because the prophet Micah had foretold it. But they never even lifted a finger to go see for themselves the, the long-awaited Messiah uh, with their very own eyes. J.C. Ryle notes the following. He says, We might have thought that the scribes and Pharisees would have been the first to hasten to Bethlehem on the lightest rumor that the Savior was born. But it was not so. A few unknown strangers from a distant land 
were the first, except the shepherds mentioned by St. Luke, to rejoice at his birth. Like we're so used to the story because we've read it so many times, most of us. It should shock us. The scribes and Pharisees, the apathy, the carelessness that they displayed at the news of the birth of Christ, they should have been the first in line. They should have been the ones that we read of every Christmas, going there and rejoicing and worshiping Christ. And yet they refused to seek him. They did not seek him at all. They did not worship Christ. They didn't bring him gifts fit for a king. They did not believe in him. How awful it is that people who were so well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures and its multitude of prophecies about the Savior who was to come rejected him when he finally came. Think of the privilege they were to have to be in that generation after all those hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years waiting for the Christ to come. He came in their day and they couldn't be bothered to lift a finger to go look for him. Think about this. Their heads were filled with the knowledge of the scriptures, but not with the knowledge of the Christ of whom the scriptures testified. It's as if, you know, we'd say it like this. They really knew their Bibles. If you, if you had a Bible drill, if you gave them a Bible quiz, they could answer every question, but they didn't know Christ. They missed the entire point of the scriptures in doing so. They knew the prophecies about Christ, but they did not know Christ himself and rejected him when he finally came. You know, the Jewish re uh, rejection of the Messiah, especially by the religious leaders of the day, is a constant theme in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, but also in John uh, and if you think about it, again, they are at the end of the Gospels. They're the ones conspiring to kill him. So they, they went from apathetic to just as raging as, as Herod was. In, Matthew's, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 39 to 40, Jesus said this to the unbelieving Jews of his day. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And then he says, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You know, the word he uses is a very strong word. He doesn't just say, hey, you read, you know, he didn't call it the Bible. He didn't just say, hey, you know, you read your Bible once in a while. You go to church. He said, you search the scriptures. Search them. Like they really poured themselves into the study of God's word, but they missed the entire point. What's the point? Jesus says, you search this book, and this book testifies about me. In other words, I'm the point of this entire book that you study, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What's the Bible about? The Bible is about Jesus Christ from front to back. And much of it is about, in Christ, the offer of eternal life. And all we have to do is come to him to have life. And yet many who even know the Bible refuse to come to Christ to have salvation in him. How many are just like that today? Apathetic about Jesus Christ, even at Christmas. Now, many refuse to darken the door of a church where they might actually hear his gospel. And how many in our day, just like in the, the, the priests and scribes and whatnot, how many are familiar with the Bible? They're well acquainted with the scriptures and yet refuse to come to Christ by faith that they might have life. They miss the entire point of the scriptures in doing so. 
Well, the good news is the third and final response to the birth of Christ that we want to look at this morning is that of the wise men or the magi uh, in verse 1. Now, they were most certainly pagans. We don't exactly know where they were from. So some of the, the guesswork in the commentaries is just that. It's kind of uh, you know sanctified guesswork. They were most certainly pagans. Some have, have conjectured that they may have been star worshipers of some kind or astrologers. Uh, and, and what do we know? We know that God used, it doesn't just say a star. It says God used his star, Christ's star, to lead them to find Jesus and worship him instead. God used that to lead them to Christ. Now the wise men or magi, uh, where did they go? You know, when they, when they somehow they knew that there was a, one who was born king of the Jews had come. So where did they naturally go? Jerusalem, the capital city where the palace was. But that's not where Christ was born. They made a beeline to the big city, the capital of Judea. They must have thought, well, that's certainly where the king of the Jews would be born. But look at verses 9 to 12 again. It says, after, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It sounds kind of like... It reminds us of, of the story of the, the, the pillar of cloud and fire in the Old Testament during the Exodus. Like it moved. You know, we, we tend to think, I, when you read the story at Christmas time, we tend to think, well, there was a star and it kind of just went in the general direction. That's not what Matthew says. It says that it went and, and, and led them. Uh, it, it, it says it, when it rose, uh, uh, the star they'd seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This star, whatever it was, led them right to the place where Jesus was. And what was their response? It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they did what? They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Think about the amazing grace of God in saving sinners. And really in saving some of the most unlikely people that you would have thought in reading the story if you hadn't already read it before. The people you would have expected to believe were the ones that didn't. And the people you don't even know how they got there. From nowhere, Gentiles and pagans at that, God leads them right to his son and brings them to saving faith in him. The most unlikely converts you ever could have imagined, but that's what happens in this story by the grace of God. And what was their response to the message of the birth of the king of the Jews, the birth of Christ Jesus? First, they sought him. Now, we don't know how far, they, far away they came from, but it, it was farther than it was from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. In fact, they did both. They went from wherever they lived to Jerusalem and then took the trip, the rest of the trip down to Bethlehem. They sought him out. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 10 says they worshipped him. They even offered him gifts fit for a king. Now, that is the response that we should emulate. That is the faith that we should all emulate. J.C. Rowell again writes the following, and this is shocking, but he, I think he's right. He says, we read of no greater faith than this in the whole volume of the Bible. No greater faith than this in the whole volume of the Bible. 
It is a faith that deserves to be placed side by side with that of the penitent thief. The thief saw one dying the death of a malefactor, of a criminal, and yet prayed to him and called him Lord. The wise men saw a newborn babe on the lap of a poor woman and yet worshipped him and confessed that he was the Christ. Blessed are they that can believe in this fashion. When they found Jesus as, as a child, what did they find? Nothing outwardly impressive. There was nothing about his family, about his circumstance, about where he was staying, that would have made them think, there's something special about this child. This certainly is the one who all the entire scripture is prophesied as the king who was to come, the king of the Jews. And yet, what did they do? They believed by the grace of God and even fell down at his feet and worshipped him. What a testimony to the grace of God and the salvation of sinners. And what unlikely converts from among the Gentiles, even at the very beginning of the Gospels at Christ's birth. Nothing would keep them from coming to Christ, believing on him and worshipping him. That is the example that we are to emulate. So I'll ask this morning, have you trusted in Christ for salvation? Do you rejoice in Jesus Christ even now? Do you worship him as your savior, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you offer himself, offer him yourself as a living sacrifice in view of the great mercies he's given you in the gospel? They, they gave of their best to Christ. Do we do likewise? The scriptures, all, all of them, bear witness to Jesus Christ. See all the various prophecies concerning Christ that were fulfilled just in this one chapter. You know, if you read Matthew's gospel, I'm sure you've read it a number of times. If you, if you, I don't know if you highlight your Bible at all or make little notes uh, or however you do it, read Matthew. Read the whole book of Matthew, the whole gospel of Matthew. And notice how many times he says, this happened to fulfill what was written or spoken by the prophet so-and-so. It's the whole book. The entire message of the Gospel of Matthew is, he's the one that was to come. Look at all these prophecies that, that were fulfilled to the T. Everything from where he was going to be born, all the way and through to his death and resurrection, and even his ascension. All these things have been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Even in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 2, there are a number of things that were fulfilled that were prophetic. His birthplace, Herod's murderous attempt to kill the baby Jesus, Joseph and Mary and Jesus' flight to Egypt, their return from Egypt and diversion to Galilee that the Christ might be called a Nazarene. All that just in Matthew 2. It's as if every single thing about Christ's life and earthly ministry and death and resurrection was fulfilled prophecy because it was. No one else fits that bill but Jesus Christ. So there is no excuse for unbelief. There's no excuse for unbelief. There's too much testimony in scripture and prophecies that were fulfilled. There's no place for apathy about Jesus Christ. May we who believe never cease to rejoice exceedingly with great joy every time we hear the good news of Christ's birth and everything else about him in the gospel. May we fall down and worship Christ, our Savior and Lord, giving him our very best in all things, even as they did when Christ was born. Amen.